Well, Oregon had a big visitor list at the spring game with a lot of big names, and that momentum hasn't kicked in yet. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. And as always, if you want to be a part of the mailbag, as many of you will be for today's show, just drop a comment in the YouTube section. Or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. So the first one today from Free Talking Flock. Great name, by the way. Some of you have like weird, quirky names, but I like that. Free Talking Flock. Because we're free talking here on the pod, of course, and we are the flock. He asks, Oregon really hasn't in recent history gotten that cornerstone quarterback to launch an avalanche of commits. Do you think landing a Michael Van Buren early or even the Luke Moga commit should pay dividends on speeding up some of these commits? Everything coming out of the spring game looked like we would start seeing commits, but hasn't happened. Is there a play happening us fans are unaware of in terms of getting many commits to commit together? Has that ever happened? So this is a fascinating question because as I've talked about many times before on the show, there is an entire army of personnel who dive into player personnel, who dive into scouting, who dive into recruiting, and who, yes, manage the social media as well. There's an on-camping, on-campus recruiting coordinator. There's a director of player personnel. There's a chief of staff. There's all these people. So with all the social media content that goes out from these visits that Oregon has been, you know, kind of at the forefront of, and everybody does it now, of course, they're not unique in that front, but they are definitely on the higher end of, you know, putting out regular content or putting out quality content as well in that sense to kind of get your name, get your brand, get your reputation out there as a school on the recruiting front. There are instances in which kids will, you know, commit at this time or that time, or, you know, they'll know, but the school might want them to do it this time. But mostly kids commit on their own timelines. They commit whenever they want to. Now, in terms of when it goes on social media, that can be a coordinated thing with the school to say, hey, you're announcing your commitment at this time, and then the school will be ready. That's kind of the impression that I have is that the kid says, you know, I'm going to announce on this date, and then the school is prepared for it if he does end up choosing them, right? So that they can kind of capitalize on that momentum in in the online sphere as much as they possibly can. So that that sort of stuff can sort of be coordinated, but in terms of, you know, when are we going to see the, the recruiting momentum kick in from the spring game, which was a great showing by the fans, by the way, and you had a bunch of great visitors there and, and guys who could be really, really quality players for the Ducks going forward in the 2024 cycle and beyond. That momentum, you're not going to see the results instantaneously, right? So the spring game was what, April 29th? Does that sound right? Yeah, something or, or, or around there. And you had that big long list of 17 players 
who were who were four and five star uh, recruits that Oregon's looking at in the 2024 cycle. Uh, Luke Moga was there, by the way. He'd committed, I think, just before the spring game. Michael Van Buren was there, and you had a bunch of big five star players. You know, David Stone and Elijah Rushing had been there a little bit beforehand, and you know, you just keep going down the list. There, there were a lot of names, but in terms of when those guys are going to commit. It's impossible to to know for sure because some guys haven't set a recruitment date. And even when guys have set a recruitment date, a lot of guys end up pushing it out and say, I'm going to delay it for this reason. I'm going to delay it for that reason. And there are a myriad of reasons, right? They want to visit another school. Maybe an NIL offer came down the line. Or maybe there's, you know, something going on in their personal lives that that make them, you know, not want to not want to make that announcement at that point in time. They want to maybe wait for, for a, a better date and whatnot. There are a myriad of factors that go into that, that sort of decision. So where you're talking about the guys and, you know, when they're going to come along, the momentum, you know, it, it was right to point it out and say, it was a great spectacle. It was a great visitor list. Everything was awesome on that front. But when are the commits actually going to start rolling in? I don't suspect that they're going to, you know, fall at a higher clip once Michael Van Buren commits, because that hasn't been the history so far of Dan Lanning and this staff, right? Dante Moore verbally committed to the Ducks way after a bunch of other skill position guys had. And I, I don't think it's as common as you think. Like it happens for sure, but most recruiting classes are assembled going after a bunch of individual kids and there and it's really really rare in 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 what i've seen from recruiting over the last several years that you actually have this big coordinated effort where you'd say okay the quarterback committed and now everybody else is going to follow along and and they're going to come and it's going to go you know one week at a time we'll be getting a commit one you know one commit a week like the arch manning thing to texas from what i've seen has kind of been the anomaly like it, it hasn't been a supremely common thing because it can be too tough to coordinate and every kid might not want to announce. And I, I don't think it's worrisome in any way, shape or form that Oregon hasn't gotten any of those kids to commit yet. Cause they, they, there are a lot of big time recruits in there. There are a lot of big time prospects who have Alabama and Georgia and Ohio state and Clemson, Georgia, I already said Georgia, but they count for two anyway, and, and Michigan and uh, Texas and uh, Texas A&M and like, just keep going down the list. USC, all these schools are going after these kids. And they're going to do their due diligence because there's no reason for them to rush, right? Like, think about it from a high school kid's standpoint. What does he need to, you know, be in a hurry to commit for? He may end up choosing Oregon, you know, in, in, in the future regardless. Like, let's just take as an example a guy who Oregon feels like they're in a good spot for, Brandon Baker, right? No guarantee that he chooses the Ducks, but he's on the radar. He'd be a big-time commit. If you were 18 years old and you knew, yeah, I think I really want to go to Oregon, What's the downside for you as a 17, 18 year old high school kid of taking these other visits? You get to see different parts of the country. You get to see different schools. You get to form relationships with coaches. If you know you end up deciding to transfer one day, you might want to have options on that front. That's a very real consideration, I think, for for high school kids nowadays with how the portal is, you know, just kind of a free agency in college football, essentially. And you get to do a bunch of cool, fun stuff. Like you only have one time in your life where you're going to be, you know, coveted like that by all these big time institutions who will fly you out, put you up in a hotel, buy you a meal, you know, 
show you around through campus and whatnot. Seems like a really fun thing for a 17, 18-year-old kid who loves football to be able to do. So these guys are going to take their time and they're going after or they're being pursued rather by a number of big time schools. It's not just Oregon. So I, I didn't expect to see, you know, a bunch of commits from the, those defensive line or defensive player prospects, uh, four and five star guys since the spring game. I didn't expect that to happen right now. I, I don't have, you know, a, an expectation in terms of a timeline for when I would think it'll all come down. And, you know, maybe a player or two sees Michael Van Buren go and says, hey, I, I, I'd like to go play with him. I think he can be a really good player. Yeah, maybe that happens. But Oregon's already got two tight ends and two wide receiver commits in the 2024 cycle. So it's not a necessity. Like, it could be an added bonus, but I don't think it's it, it's a necessity by, by any means that, you know, it all kind of come together at the same time. Like National Signing Day, the first one is in late December. That is over five. I'm sorry. I can't do math. That is over seven months from now. So they've got a long, long way to go in that process. I do expect Oregon to land some of those players, but in terms of when, that's up to the individual kids and, and their recruitment. One other recruitment that Oregon's been going after is Gary Bryant Jr. And he is expected to be committing soon. He may even have committed to his school of choice by the time you listen to this. I, I have a question about Gary Bryant Jr. And I have a question for all of you. Why haven't you bought Built Bars yet? Or maybe some of you have. In fact, I know that some of you have because you messaged me as much like, hey, thanks for putting me in the direction of Built Bars. You're most welcome. They're delicious because they're healthy. They taste amazing. Covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right. Real chocolate. They come in unbelievably great flavors like mint brownie, my personal favorite, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream. I don't know how Built does it, but they've got 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, only four grams of sugar, and they taste ridiculously good, especially if you get puffs. Now, you can get specialty flavors at Built.com. You can go to your local Walmart, head to the pharmacy section, get a box of four of cookies and cream. You can also get a 13-bar box if you go to Sam's Club. Built.com, Walmart, Sam's Club. Get your next order of Built Bars like brownie batter puff, churro puff, whatever you want. Do it. You'll thank me later. All right. Let's um, refresh the vocals a bit. And continue along. Here's a question I have about Gary Bryant Jr. He's a really talented guy. Was a high, high four-star recruit coming out of high school. Has had some really, really great moments at USC. Can play inside, can play outside, good run after the catch guy. Does a lot of things really, really well. What I question, and you know, if he comes to Oregon, great. He's a talented, proven player that you add to Oregon's receiving room, and it's another weapon for Bo Nix and company. Gives you a great depth addition via the transfer portal like okay i'm i'm not i'm not opposed to that but the the question i have with him is is oregon a place where he could play the most right it depends on what he's looking for if if he's after nil money yeah maybe he'd be able to get more at oregon than at some other places but for a, a guy of his caliber at his position he's probably not drawing a ton but you know maybe that's maybe that's a factor that's why he's choosing the ducks maybe he thinks Oregon is going to win the Pac-12 this year and he wants to be a part of it but just from like a playing time standpoint you know that's kind of how it feels he got forced out of USC is 
the receiver room just got crowded, right? Brendan Rice, Mario Williams, Zachariah Branch. Like they got a bunch of dudes in that receiver room. And of course, a year ago, they had they had Jordan Addison as well coming from Pitt. So if he's going somewhere looking for more playing time, more passes being thrown his way, I, I just don't see how barring an injury, Oregon is the place where he could most readily do that. Like if you're looking... If, if you're looking for targets, Oregon's not the top place for him. I'm not, you know, trying to like send a message to Gary Bryant. Like I, I just, I just look at a guy like that who, who is leaving because of playing time. And I think if he goes to Oregon, he's the number four receiver at wide receiver, not pass catcher. He's the number four wide receiver at best, maybe number five. I think Franklin's ahead of him. I think Treshawn Holden's ahead of him. I think Hudson and Tez Johnson play in the slot, which Gary Bryant can do, but I have a hard time seeing how those two, Chris Hudson's got chemistry with Bo Nix. Tez Johnson's got chemistry with Bo Nix. He's his brother. I don't see him catapulting any of those guys on the depth chart or on the target list. And then T Ferg at tight end is also probably going to be someone who gets, uh, who has the trust of Bo Nix more readily available. So, I'd love to have him. I mean, it'd be, it'd be an embarrassment of riches for Oregon, but if you're just looking for a power five school that can give you, you know, a greater target share, I, I feel like UCLA would be an option. Cal would be an option. Arizona could be an option. Washington state could be an option. If he went up to Washington state, he might be their number one receiver. I haven't checked in on their receiver depth chart super recently. I think Renard bell might be back there for year number 18 of college football, but I, I, I just, I just wonder on on that front, you know, what what all the motivating factors are. But that announcement is coming soon. Oregon is reportedly in a good spot. So we'll see how it plays out uh, and talk about it further if it does come down the line. Uh, back to the mailbag here. This is from Andrew. And again, YouTube comments, Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. Love, love, love when you all send me questions. Andrew asks, so quick question. I know the Ducks have been looking high and low to find additional tight ends. And Elijah Brown from Bama is in the portal with three years of eligibility remaining. Any chance Coach Lanning gives him a call? He's listed as a four-star and at 6'5", 238, he has a good pass-catching frame like Montevallo did. Yeah, I'm still bummed about the Montevallo transfer. I, I really, Malinky Montevallo is like the prototypical number two tight end. Solid pass catcher, solid blocker, big body. Got some upside, just like solid across the board. So there's no indication at this point in time that I have seen that that Elijah Brown is someone Oregon would go after. They offered Sadu Treore, the tight end from Colorado, who's in the portal. He went there uh, from Arkansas State, had one productive season, and I think he was there for one or two years, and then he's back in the portal. Oregon's offered him. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but to my knowledge – uh, to, to my knowledge, Andrew, there's not a direct tie from Lanning to, to Elijah Brown, but he does kind of fit what Oregon's looking for, which is experienced, capable tight ends who can come in and fill the depth chart. And he would certainly qualify. And if Oregon were to make an offer for him, yeah, I think it would make a lot of sense. But I think they're waiting to see what happens with Treore first before they, they go down that road. Um, and, and I don't believe, I want to just uh double double check here i should have double checked before i i uh <laughs> before i came on but um but yeah brown is is in the portal uh doesn't look like he's been picked up by anybody just yet 
certainly if he was good enough to go to Alabama, he's good enough to go to Oregon. Uh, I, I just, I think right now it looks like Treore is the guy they're, they're going after. But yeah, if Treore goes somewhere else, I could see Elijah Brown being an option. And as I am recording this show, he's still in uh, the transfer portal. So I, I could certainly see it. Um, but at this point in time, kind of hard to know. And I don't think tight ends like a need. I think it's more of a want for the Ducks. I think if you have four scholarship tight ends, you're good. Even if one of them is a true freshman in Kenyon Sadiq, you know, Montevallo and Ferguson both play as true freshmen. And maybe they were a bit more physically ready because they were a touch bigger. But overall, they did really well as true freshmen. And like you, you can play as a tight end um, at, at or you can play as a true freshman at the tight end position. Other positions, kind of hard. Offensive and defensive line, pretty hard. It's 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 it is really rare for a guy in the trenches to play year one uh, coming out of high school safety. Same sort of thing. Corner, pretty tough linebacker. Also tough. Again, not impossible, but tough. But wide receiver and and tight end both and running back as well. Yeah, those are the positions I'd say you can most readily make the jump from high school to the college ranks uh, for for some of these recruits. All right, uh, this was from SC underscore RC. Like RC Cola? I don't know. Uh, just spitballing ideas. Uh, this came up on uh, the show the other day, and he said, Speaking of Maldonado, former Oregon kicker, how do you feel about our kickers? I know Camden Lewis struggled early for the Ducks, but seemed to have come on pretty well lately. He struggled early in his career. Last season, he was pretty solid. For some reason, I still don't feel super confident in him if we needed a field goal to win a big game. Maybe it's just Maldonado days haunting me. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, I think it is, yeah, because Camden Lewis, one of the great success stories in recent memory for Oregon football. He, he was, as a true freshman, a highly sought-after kicker. And as a true freshman, he was, let's face it, a mess. He couldn't make 18 and 20 yard field goals. He missed extra points. He was, I, I mean, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And Henry Cattleman came in and took the job from him. And then we were all happy because it was, you know, a sigh of relief to say, oh, we finally have a kicker we can rely on. Look at the way he actually gets the ball towards the top of the uprights. My goodness. And then Camden Lewis came back and took the starting job. And you were like, wait. Why are we moving on from Cattleman? And then you watch Camden Lewis kick and you're like, oh, he he didn't do the modern college football approach of I got beat out for my job, so I'm just going to transfer somewhere else where I can go play. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to absolutely, you know what, grind and win the job back. And he did. And you know what he's earned? I think he's earned our trust. Now, can he hit a 50-yard field goal? No. Do you know how many college kickers can? Answer, not many. There are not a lot of college kickers who can do that. He hit from 44 in the spring game. He hit a couple from 44 or 45 a season ago. And look, yeah, it would have been great if he could hit from 54 in the Washington game, but that was in you know October. No, I think that was in November. Washington. Yeah, I think that was a November game. You know, a November night game in Eugene, it, it, it's it's just going to be hard to hit that that sort of field goal and whatnot. But you go back to at 2019, you know, when he was struggling, I think that game winner against Washington State gave him all the confidence in the world. And, you know, since then, he's really, really developed. I mean, 
Sorry, I needed a sip of water there. He, he is really, really developed into a solid kicker to where when I'm watching him and when you, all of you are watching him too, you should feel this way. I, I'm expecting him to make it. Whereas early in his career, it was, I'm grateful if he makes it. Or I'm like, oh, oh good. He didn't. Like, you're not, never going to make every field goal, but pretty sure he's Pac-12 honorable mention in, in 2022. Like, he was a really, really solid kicker. And I'm glad that he's back, and I feel just fine about him. I think where Oregon needs to improve in the kicking game is, you know, Boyle was good on kickoffs, but the kickoff coverage got, has to be better. But the the punting, the, the punting, the punting, the punting. They were last in the Pac-12, averaging, I think it was 37.8 yards per punt a season ago. That is a dreadfully bad number. That's, that's what we got to be worried about. But Camden Lewis, one of the few things I'm not worried about, and hopefully, knock on wood, I'm not jinxing that here, but that is one of the few elements of, of Oregon's team that is undergoing no change from a year ago and that I have the utmost confidence in. Because you got Bo Nix, confident. Bucky Irving, confident. Troy Franklin, confident. Camden Lewis, confident. Brandon Dorless, confident. TriQuest Bridges, confident. Brian Addison, confident. That's That's about it for returners who I feel really, really good about. Uh, going into the, this 2023 season, which just can't come soon enough. All right, a couple of fun questions to end today's show. From my guy, Beginner Catholic. He asks two questions here. Another question for the show, inspired by one you answered today, meaning the other day on the show. Should Oregon, quote, curb stomp USC, what will be your celebratory meal? Well... I think my answer is pizza, which would be paying homage to Tracktown Pizza, as in we ran all the way around USC and just ran right through their defense circa 2012, if we were to do that. So I would go pizza, you know, in Cedar City where I live, not where I'm recording the show from, but where I live, there are a couple really, really excellent pizza places that are kind of the best restaurants in town writ large. There are other excellent options as well. But I think pizza would be, uh, you know, Centro or Pizza Cart. Those would be kind of my my go-tos there for, for really good quality wood-fired artisan pizza. And then uh, Beginner Catholic asks again, follow-up question part two. What will be your celebratory meal if Oregon blows out Utah? Well, it depends on where I am when I'm watching the game. Because in all likelihood, the, the answer, frankly, is probably Mexican. And the answer is, is Mexican because the Utah game, I think if I were to double check my schedule, I'd see that it kind of coincides with a broadcast I have for Southern Utah, meaning I wouldn't get done till later in the day. And I think the Utah game is later in the day, but if they're kind of coinciding, so I'm having to call the game, you know, while, while watching the game, um, one of the few things that's open late at night, Cedar city, Utah is Rita's Mexican and they've got excellent tacos, good enchiladas, and those are the only things I've had there. And that's, oh, and great burritos too. Great, great burritos as well. So that would kind of be my go-to. And, and that would apply to the USC game as well if we were to blow them out and the game is later in the day. 
and there's just nothing else open and I wanted to go out for a celebratory meal, Rita's Mexican. Really, really nice. Like hole-in-the-wall kind of Mexican. We all know those are the best Mexican joints. Um, Mexican food. Outstanding. And if you didn't know, some of you might know watching the uh, live stream from like a, a week or two ago with uh, Ryan Winter, Sports Chat 503. I'm a huge foodie. Like, if you want to hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 and talk about food, I'll talk your ear off for 30 minutes about my favorite food options. I love going to Vegas for food. I love eating food. I love cooking food. I love watching. I watch Food Network all the time. Not even kidding. There, you learned something about me. That's what you take into the weekend. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.